the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Innovators Network. Kim McNicholas on innovation. Spotlighting successful entrepreneurs, innovators, investors, and industry experts. Their stories and insights can help you become better informed, better educated, and a better investor. Your host is Emmy Award-winning anchor, reporter, and writer Kim McNicholas. Kim has been a journalist at Forbes magazine, a Fox News Channel contributor, vetted more than 3,000 startups, and has been a mentor for entrepreneurs around the globe. Now, Kim McNicholas on innovation. Welcome to the show. How do you think big when you simply don't? What a great question. You start a company. You find success initially with your product. You may be profitable, in fact, but you've plateaued. What next? How do you scale? Or... Let's say you start a company, you have a great product, you're not yet profitable, and you need to raise money in order to subsidize growth. Well, over the next hour, we have Aurelia Sutton to share the secrets to scaling your business. She is the founder and CEO of Montblanc Ventures, which does seed investments in early-stage startups. It also offers executive, hands-on operational support to companies that are ready to scale with go-to-market and sales, whether they're financially involved in the organization or not. Aurelia has a proven track record in helping companies to scale. She's one of the most sought-after growth strategists in all of Silicon Valley. She's helped scale a small family-owned wine business from zero to $15 million in revenue, helped a clean tech company raise $90 million along with guiding their growth to IPO. Plus, she's driven growth in LinkedIn sales organization, managing a global sales team and putting in place structure to limit the cost of sales without impacting effectiveness. In fact, increasing positive impact on customers. She then went on to build a vertical business of $30 million within a larger organization called Medallia, providing software for companies to scale while keeping customer feedback in the center of their decisions. And that's just to offer a few of the many highlights of her career. And she's now dedicating her time to helping as many startups as she can manage and even more than that. I'm sure the challenge for her is to keep having to select the best companies to work with while spending time helping the largest number possible. And she's here now. Thank you so much, Aurelia, for being here. Really honored to have you. Thank you, Kim. It's a great opportunity and uh, it's always fun to listen to your shows. Oh, thank you. Well, we met, gosh, how many years ago? What was that? 2008 at a kiteboarding event in Maui. And what really impressed me was your ability to not only listen, but offer tangible, actionable, actionable advice. You never would hold back on offering your experience if it would help someone. And I saw this in whomever I overheard you talking with, no matter the size of the startup or how crazy the idea. And there were a lot of crazy ideas that I heard there on the beach. But you always would be real, yet you would still offer actions they could take in order to create success. I mean, that was that was pretty amazing. And that was over the years that, that, that I mean, years and years that that we've been going to this event. So pretty remarkable. Well, you know, I mean, this was the making of uh, an exceptional investor, Bill Tai, 
an ex- exceptional professional kiter, Susie Mai. And they had this vision of doing a small community that would actually share uh, best practice on the water, mm-hmm. kiting and best practice uh, in businesses and creating something so intimate that people could actually uh, be themselves. And, you know, you kind of threw a wrench in that. <laughs> like you came in, <laughs> yes. you're a journalist, you're the first ever journalist accepted to attend this event. And everybody was like, why is there a journalist joining our small party? We can't be free. We can't talk about everything right. here. <laughs> and you know what? Soon enough, this journalist turned, turned into like an amazing, fun person that was Kim and not the journalist. And you became yeah. sort of the attraction. You talk to everybody. You kind of make it so personable that people told them your stories and you always respected, yes. uh, you know, the uh, business side that needed to be uh, – maybe uh, more out uh, off air and still uh, made people feel great about, um, you know, telling their true stories. Yeah, I always I always believe you have to be authentic yourself and you have to be vulnerable yourself if you expect people to be vulnerable. And there was one woman that also, I think, um, said it best in in terms of the culture of this kiteboarding group. And it was Joy Covey, who is was the founding uh, CFO of Amazon. And, um, you know, she she has since passed, but she's always with us. And I will always remember what she told me one day. And she said, you know, what you do is not who you are. And that has always stuck with me. She's like, you know, being the founding CFO of Amazon was not who I am. It's what I do. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of what people remember is how you do it. Yeah. So, yeah, you came Which in says and a lot you about actually, your character. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you created around you uh, sort of an even stronger core of people. And I remember all the pros were like helping you out and yes. like <laughs> challenging you and say, OK, she's not going to quit. We're going to have to put her on the water and make it work because she's not going to quit. No, much how, how, no matter how much seaweed I actually ate along the way. That was a disaster. That was uh, a really bad. Or how much coral went across my legs and scraped me up. But it was it was good. We had the those battle scars. But I mean, to onlookers, an event like this may just seem like an opportunity to have fun. But as I talk about those battle scars, as I was learning and growing in, in kiteboarding, there's a lot of similarities between learning to kiteboard and building a company. What are your observations? How could someone learn the lessons of building a company from experiencing the process of mastering a sport like kiteboarding? Yeah, you know, people ask me. So, you know, I started kite surfing in 2003. That was really early in the wow. sport. And uh, lately I got into a new thing, which is uh, triathlon. I just did my first half Ironman. And seriously, my friends who know me, I'm a really bon vivant. You know, I love, you know, drinking, having fun. And, <laughs> and they're like, why? Why do you do this? Like, this is torture. And I say, you know, I just, I just like to learn something hard mm-hmm. and see if I can do it and kind of challenge myself until – I end up being able to do it. And the real thing is that it's just like a business, like a new opportunity, like a a new job or starting a company or Mm -hmm. starting to learn kite surfing. There's days where you just want to drop out. You're like, I'm going to stay on the couch. I'm I'm not going to go out there. (laughs) But you know, you know that once you're out there, it's going to happen. You're going to do it and it's going to work out. And it's just a matter of doing the first step. Taking that first step to go on the beach and be there, be present, show up. And once you show up, everything else that's pulled you together till then is going to make it work. And I think that's exactly the same way. You show up for a race. You don't know if you're ever going to make it. Mm -hmm. 
and you always end up making it. You show up at work and you have this massive meeting with clients and you have this fear that, you know, everything's going to fall apart. And somehow, you know, you have the experience, you have the emotional intelligence to like pull it together at the last minute sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's it's very similar. And you know, sometimes it's hard and it's also discouraging. Like in kitesurfing, you see the pros, they fly. Oh, they, yes, they, they soar. fly like 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 angels or like you know <laughs> birds and you're like I'm never gonna get there and that's really discouraging and I think you know I I still think about that like at work when I think about you know big bets I'm like we're never gonna get there some days I I think like that and I'm like wait wait a second and you know Susie Mai the great athlete gave mm -hmm. me that advice on kiting that that day where you know I was like well you know I'm never gonna be able to do what you do and you say you know It's just a decision that every time you go on the water, you can either kite or decide one thing you're going to work on today to do differently than you did yesterday. Oh, that's great. Advice. And just do that thing today until you nail it. And she said that's how she learned kiting. She's like, mm. back loop, I'm going to do it until I nail it. And she would stay in the water for five hours if it took five hours to just nail a back loop. And, you know, it's always... You know, it's it's a simple advice, but if you take it back to really how you experience life and say, okay, just nail that that small thing today, yeah, just makes it so much more human. And I really felt like I did that for kiting, uh, and it just helped me continue to, you know, expand, grow, learn new things. It's been a fun sport. And it is. Well, coming up right here on, on Kim and Nicholas on Innovation, why Aurelia's scent went from helping a startup in the slow growth wine industry, which we'll hear about in a few minutes, to a hyper growth tech startup and how you can apply her scaling strategies to grow your business. So stay with us right here. Now, back to Kim McNicholas on innovation. Welcome back to the show. With us is high tech growth strategist Aurelia Sutton, who has a proven track record in helping startups scale from inception to IPO and even beyond that. Before the break, we were talking about how we met, which was at a kiteboarding event in Maui where there were startups from around the globe that were paired with professional kiteboarders. And there turns out to be some sort of synergy between the two because what it takes to build a company, those that same skill set is what it takes to master the art of kiteboarding. So you had professional kiteboarders, you had startups, and um, the entrepreneurs and the professional kiteboarders learned a lot from one another. But that's where Aurelia and I met. And I've been watching her career just evolve and evolve, and I'm so impressed with what you have to offer as a as a growth strategist. And I'm curious as to, you know, did you always know that this is where you wanted to be, that you were going to be this growth strategist and you were going to have this skill set that could help people make, you know, raise nearly $100 million in funding or grow their company from inception to IPO? You really want a true answer, right? I want a true answer. Absolutely not. And I am very, uh, you know... Uh, I, I respect all the advice I got of knowing what you need to, to do in the next five to 10 years to be uh, basically a, an inspiring leader. I really don't relate to that. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, I think I think all people have have their own way of, of thinking about the so what. So, I mean, the way I think about it is, um, okay, I have a plan and that's plan A. Mm -hmm. And if things don't go well, that's plan B. And what's most important is plan C, which is what happens if <laughs> A or B work out, meaning what do I get and where does it 
get me? And is that aligned with what I want? And I think, you know, that's the most important piece is making sure that the C is actually aligned with your values, aligned with where you want to go, and actually that you're creating through your plan A or B the foundations you want. And and that's enough because I could never have imagined what I've done in my life when I was 20 or 30. And so it's an amazing journey. And the more you meet people, the more it inspires you to think bigger or differently. I believe in growth mindset. I believe that uh, you can learn things you could never have thought about you or attaching to yourself yep. before. Um, so, yeah, and and I believe in conversations. There are conversations that have changed my, my life. Um, what was the most impactful conversation? The most impactful conversation? Uh, that's a good one because I didn't prepare that. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think, you know, when you're when you're younger, maybe you can say one conversation. Like I remember, for example, a conversation was a, a, a professor of mine that said, you know, when I was at HEC, say, go, go to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely helpful for me to think about, you know, taking a chance on that when it was 2002. And, you know, it wasn't obvious that going to the U.S. was a smart way to start my career. Um, at least it wasn't as prominent than, than now. And, uh, but I think as you grow up, you meet many more people that have smaller influences and yeah. many more conversations that, that influence you. Um, you know, the conversation I had with, with my time, the small group of people that we were um, when, you with know. With the kiteboarding group. Yeah. And Calera was the company I was at. And we uh, raised $90 million, We prepared for IPO. Then came 2010. We didn't go IPO. Uh, we had an amazing vision, but the market wasn't there. And we had to pivot, downside the company three times. I, I was part of the exec team. We went from 200 people to 60. It was really painful. Wow. And, um, and you know, the advice I got then were like several conversations on trying to figure out what my next step was going to be. And, uh, you know, I was surrounded by entrepreneurs and I could go back to another startup and, and, and be, you know, part of a co-founding team. Uh, but that's when I decided that the most important thing that stuck with me is that any entrepreneur to build a great company needed to build uh, a great culture, hire mm-hmm. great people, uh, build a set of values, and build um, a mission-based company. And I said, what better way to learn that at scale than go to a company that uh, whose values I admire? And so I made a very short list of companies that I thought I could learn that from, and LinkedIn was at the top of my list. And that's how I decided to try out what it means to be doing that at scale with excellence. And wow. that was like the booming time of LinkedIn. And look, I interviewed there. They made me a first offer and it kind of fell through a second, a third. And I got so upset. And that took like three months that the last one was I, I remember sitting across the VP of that uh, part of the organization in sales. And I just sat across. I said, look. I'm just asking for you to take a chance on me. Mm-hmm. And by that time, I was so loudly convinced and, and, and strongly convinced of what I wanted. And I asked it so clearly and with so much passion and anger that the guy literally the next day called up his division and find out the, the role. And I started like three days later. Wow. But it took three months of, for me to get that clarity and probably that voice. And I think the learning is like, you have to do that day one, right? But sometimes it takes you to go through that process. So what was it that gave you the confidence and skill set necessary to grow their global sales in a cost-effective manner? 
and to have the credibility within the organization because you had to make some very tough decisions or tough recommendations. Yeah, look, it was scary. Uh, LinkedIn was an amazing place. I came in and I got to interview uh, the best president of the sororities and fraternities of the best universities in in America. Uh, these people were just amazing. They were true millennials. They are, you know, in the interview, ask me, well, what do you think you can bring me? Like, mm. if you hire me, really? what are you going to teach me? Like, why would I join you as an organization? And uh, those were some of the most challenging learning experiences for me was to, to hire uh, these young people that uh, were exceptional. And then, you know, the next day they're there and they're expecting uh, training. They're expecting you to invest in them. Uh, and and you just have to step up. So it's sort of similar to when you're going uh, out there kiting and there's full wind and you're like, oh, my God, is this going to go through? And, uh, <laughs> you know, you step up. Uh, and there was an amazing uh, culture of support and reaching out and being entrepreneurial within uh, the organization at LinkedIn, which I, I believe is still there, which is uh, unique. And, you know, I got tremendous and uh, a lot of the processes we put in place were around managing growth uh, to lower cost of sale. So reducing uh, the amount of touch points across an account to make sure that people had a broader impact and uh, less people were touching an account to reduce, obviously, the the, the sales cost. So based on, on what you implemented there, what is some of your strategic advice for startups that are trying to do the same thing that LinkedIn has done? Well, so I believe investing in values uh, up front and not in values right on the wall, but values that you uh, show up with uh, and the people you hire in the way you uh, onboard people in the way you train people. Uh, For example, what we did is um, we had uh, role plays every day. And where the manager takes the role of the client, the client uh, is is live and the uh, employee or the salesperson is also challenging the manager. And you would do it both ways so that it's a con- continuous learning curve for wow. both parties, right? The, the manager and the salesperson. And there's um, challenge, feedback, learning all along the way. That was very unique. And it was a very strong training program because that's how you grow your sales team, right? Fast and they... They get to uh, to develop a toolbox very quickly. So mm-hmm. I believe making sure you uh, have your values clear and then you implement them and you live them. Uh, and then obviously you have to have uh, very strict processes that people can learn quickly uh, to make sure that you onboard people as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. So, uh, you know, we had all hands every week. And the company wow. was already uh, like 6,000 people, I think. Wow. And every week you had manager level presenting to the entire company. What an opportunity. I mean, that was amazing. Um, so people believe that if you stepped up and you had something to show for, you could pretty much, you know, people would listen to you. And you had a, uh, you had a, a terrain to do that. You had uh, the company was ready to, to listen to that and listen to, to feedback and listen to heroes of of today and tomorrow. Well, coming up next right here on Commit Nicholas on Innovation, Aurelia takes her experience in scaling companies to a whole new level, setting off on her own to help startups around the world, not only hands-on with her go-to-market prowess, 
but also financially through her own Montblanc Ventures. So stay with us. Now, back to Kim McNicholas on innovation. Welcome back to the show. We have Aurelia Sutton, who is a successful growth strategist for tech companies across industries with their go-to-market strategies from inception to IPO. Aurelia, up till now, we have focused on you as an employee helping companies such as LinkedIn to scale. And now you have actually set out on your own, not just to help strategize, but also help financially these companies through seed investments for those that also need a little financial injection to execute on their plans. So I'm curious, what really was that aha moment for you that this, it was time that you were inspired, that you had enough of a skill set to just set off on your own and fly. And you started Mont Blanc Ventures. Yeah, Mont Blanc is probably the only uh, French name that has a secret C and a secret T that Americans know how to spell because of the Uh pen, which is, (laughs) it was a surprise for me. It actually comes from the mountain. Uh, It's the tallest mount in France, which was uh, kind of a, it's a place where I grew up and where I went uh, in the summers and did a lot of hiking. So uh, that's sort of how uh, it came. Look, the... um, so you asked me a couple of questions, but the, the aha moment to become uh, independent after you've been in several uh, startups and being part of sort of the growth engine uh, of it is is the desire to identify a need that's really unique when um, companies usually raise money. Uh, there's this very scary phase where um, you are changing the pace of your organization, yeah. uh, both in terms of um, – management style, expectation, goal setting, and sort of how you invest money and make bets. And you go from sort of a a, a linear trajectory that's sort of slow growth based on on initial momentum to making uh, stronger bets uh, Mm -hmm. with higher risk. And that's what uh, investors usually expect of you. And that's not always something natural, hence the title of like, how do you think big when you don't, because mm-hmm. before you raise money, you have a different way of growing your business. Right. And the question is, should you raise money? Uh, if you manage to do a profitable business, you know, it's always that question of like keeping on the trajectory or taking money to grow faster. Mm-hmm. And it comes with obviously a lot of pressure. And uh, I think it depends. I don't think it's always a yes. If you're in a competitive landscape and there's a lot of competition and you have to build, you know, competitive advantage that require a lot more investment and you have to grow faster to make sure that you gain market share. Or if you have a first mover advantage, no question, you have to raise money. Yeah. But there are some businesses that are perfectly uh, profitable, viable, and will do better at retaining top talent by having sort of this um, value-based growth uh, lower uh, risk level that mm. will attract people and uh, that probably will have a better outcome. You know, if you think about five years down the road um, of of the overall uh, reward for the person, for the entrepreneur. So you have two different types of scaling that you can do, right? You have the one that's, you know, just slow growth, kind of like the wine business. You you started off initially and you helped grow a wine business from zero to hero. You know, yeah. 15 million is pretty good for a family-owned wine business. Sure was, absolutely. And then you have the other ones that end up becoming venture-backed where you need that venture capital in order to subsidize growth, right? Do you help both types of companies now with Mountain Block Ventures? So Mountain Block Venture is very much set up to help uh, the venture-backed companies mm-hmm. because the truth about 
profitable businesses that tend to grow was a, a founder and a founding team that's uh, able to to basically bring a, comp- uh, a company to profitability is that um, it's then a personal decision. You know, mm-hmm. it's a personal decision of does the team want to have a different experience Uh, as a founding team to grow a different type of business mm-hmm. or are they satisfied with basically a money-making business, which is right. something great. Uh, so it becomes a personal uh, a personal uh, question and it usually takes more time. Uh, Mobile Ventures is, is really during that hockey-stick uh, expectation, which is you raise money, you need to now hire people, you need to bring a team together, you need to put in place a lot of processes, you need to... Uh, reinforce kind of the foundation of why and how your customers are going to buy and continue to buy and be engaged with your product or, or your service. And this is when uh, usually um, there's a lot of uh, changes happening all at once. And what I've seen and the reason I, I decided to go into is VCs are the ones asking for uh, people like me to step in uh, to uh, – Bring that kind of uh, executive support presence and that experience to uh, usually the founding team that has been, you know, hands-on working at it, uh, but doesn't have maybe the distance or the perspective on what's going to make the 10x uh, the 10x win happen. So, what are your top recommendations in that position for these startups? Yeah. So th- the first one is actually to make sure that you understand why your customers buy. Mm-hmm. And buy and stay with your service. And I always say in the enterprise, it's not just about your customers. It's about th- your customers' customers if you're going in that direction. So yeah. many people just focus on marketing to the customers, but you almost want to market to the customers' customers as well. Yeah. So, I mean, the question is how you do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so in you do it very differently in B2C and in B2B. Mm-hmm. In B2C, it's obviously you have to make sure that um, you have understood, you know, the KPI of engagement and how you continue to uh, create word of mouth either within the product or in the community and how you engage and trigger the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the spirit of like what are the values, what are you creating, what is the the the, the special uh, moment that, Um, makes the community unique is, is, is very important to nail right. kind of the value. In the B2B business, you know, getting feedback from customers is much more tricky. And first of all, you have to ask the questions. And what that means is actually going to your customer, your enterprise customer, and saying, okay, here is my hypothesis about why it matters. Right. Here is my vision how I'm going to solve it. And then asking, am I making your top three items of what keeps you up at night. Am I on the top three of what matters for your organization? And if you're not, the chances of you getting the resource or the, the budget for your service is pretty low. So, you know, there is sort of a, a, a process to go through to make sure that you have a product market fit. And in enterprise, it takes a, an, a process, we call it customer waves, that you basically first understand which are the segments of customers you want to go um, this is reset, the go through. And then once you understand your segment, you go through a representative customer of each segment mm-hmm. and you iterate around understanding, making sure that you make your top three, their top three uh, priorities. Oh, that's brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. Well, right now I just got a call in from Yasmin. Yasmin, are you on the line? 
Yes, uh, good afternoon, uh, Kim and Aurelia. How are you? Great. You're creating immersive 3D experiences with virtual reality. That's pretty amazing. Yes, it is. It is very exciting. And um, I, have a, I have a question. I, I mean, it's, I'm going to go ahead and, and say it. I mean, it's, it's basically, you know, I live in Las Vegas and uh, we're a company that we kind of shifted what we were doing and we took it into, you know, a higher level of, of uh, innovation. And uh, Vegas, I'm sure you, you two ladies know, is a very, uh, just as other major cities across in, in the country, it's a very cutthroat type of city, you know. And so uh, we have an amazing team of experts that, you know, usually maybe it could take 100 men to do uh, one thing. We have, you know, a small team of maybe, you know, 15 that can do what, what hundreds can do. And so... Uh, they're super knowledgeable in what they're doing. The challenge that I've had is uh, being in business in Vegas for five years. And over the last two years, we've created products and app development uh, experiences um, in virtual reality and augmented reality and uh, offering um, different products, for example, to... Uh, you might want to get to your question. Las- we only have two minutes left. Yes, in Las Vegas. So when how do you break, how do you, you know, get through... Uh, the decision makers and having them to, um, you know, top CEOs of, you know, Fortune 500 companies, how do you get them to uh, trust you in the beginning when you're, you're kind of like starting something that they even, they don't even understand what really it is. They know it's important, VR, but how, how would you go about, um, you know, getting in their circle besides, you know, emailing and getting through to them through social media and what have you. Well, Aurelia is going to jump in right here because she only has a minute to answer your question. Yeah, I think the question was like, how do you uh, get to decision makers mm-hmm. who can actually buy and uh, and and make your, your product in the marketplace? You know, it comes back to customer and do you really know what they need? Mm-hmm. And is your vision aligned with uh, their needs? Meaning, can you actually describe what you're doing in a sense of what makes sense to them? Does it hit one of their line items of either the priority they're going to discuss at their next board meeting, or does it hit directly their bottom line? Mm -hmm. And is there a clear impact on their business that you can uh, concisely uh, verbalize to them to say, here is why if you work with us or buy our service, it's going to impact your business in such a way. Um, and ideally, as we always say, it impacts the business. And it might also be very powerful if you manage to have a personal impact to the person who's actually the buyer. Meaning if it helps the buyer to increase their role in the organization or to increase its visibility, uh, then that's how you turn people into champions and uh, people that are going to actually help you promote your product beyond. So it's really about making sure you have that pain point, fitting your product within that pain point, and then maybe reaching out through LinkedIn. And if you're hitting that strategic pain point, they're going to listen. Well, coming up right here on Kim McNichols on Innovation, we have more questions that are coming in on social media for Aurelia Sutton. So stay with us. Now, back to Kim McNicholas on Innovation. Welcome back to the show. We have growth strategist Aurelia Sutton here, and we're getting so many questions via social media. We also have someone who actually came in here suddenly live and decided to stop by because he's starting to come. Company, and he has a question for Aurelia, but we'll get to Balaji in just a moment. But we do have a couple questions that have been 
some entrepreneurs are waiting around for this. Um, we have Wang Su Lu, who has a company called Happiness Inc. It's an enterprise mindfulness virtual reality solution that alleviates stress, allowing users to visualize with biofeedback their progress to a better self. And he wants to know, how can I make VC funds commit after follow-up meetings and updates? How do you make them say yes? <laughs> I love that question. <laughs> Maybe say yes. yes. Just say it. Give, I just, me, the give money. me the money. Yeah. Um, yeah. So seriously, like you have to think about their life. Like they see uh, maybe 2,000 um, basically right. uh, companies a year. So you want to make sure you did your homework, mm-hmm. first of all, meaning you have to make sure you know what is the VC's core focus, positioning, what kind of amount they give, ticket price, if they want to take a lead or if they want to be a follower, mm-hmm. if they actually are specialized in your industry. And then you actually want to know the partner, the person at the fund that is going to be the expert in your topic. Because if you have an expert, there's so many more chances that you're going to actually close than not. Because mm-hmm. they're usually not going to take a risk if they don't know your industry really well. And so it's a really good point. And so you have to know that person and know what investments that person has made before mm-hmm. and if they got burnt or if they got a success out of it because guess what if they got burnt before most likely they're not going to be super interested in in making an investment in that space again or maybe they have amazing learnings that you can learn from uh, but you need to know that when you actually go and meet uh, a VC and that is uh, available information that you can find easily so they expect you to know that um, the other thing is you know just like any deal, when you make a deal, you want to make sure you got a good deal. Yes. So um, there's something about creating momentum at the moment you raise money, which falls on you, which is, you know, it could be the it's the reason why they would invest now because you want them now, mm-hmm. not tomorrow, not in three months. And so you have to create a reason why this is the moment that you're basically the hottest thing they could put their money in. Mm-hmm. And so it's either, you know aligning the stars within your organization and creating a roadmap where you can make sure that you have a deal closing. Maybe you have a conference that you're going to where you're trying to get an award or you're doing a press release of uh, some kind on a product release. But you have to create an alignment of stars for the right timing for you to become the hottest thing right now that they need to invest in. That's really it's it is all about timing. That is so important. And I always say do go and look up the articles that were written on their investments and see if they're quoted somewhere about them, which explains why they invested in them and then play to those points. Uh huh. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> advice too, for sure. Uh, next up, we have Iman. He has a company called Hitsfu, which is data science for apps. And the question is, they just released their product clairvoyance to help app developers predict and significantly improve their users' lifetime value. They had successful engagement with their first company com- customer. And now they're looking for customers two and three. And they have a large list of target companies. The question is, what tools and techniques should they use to turn those leads into customers? I love this because, like, if you have one customer and you're trying to get the second and the third one, this is it. You're trying to get product market fit. Mm -hmm. You basically don't have a product yet. It's not because you have one client. It's because you have two and three and ten Uh, And so this is exactly what we were just talking about. This is when you go back to the one client that you have and you understand why they buy, what are they buying, what is the value it's creating for them. Mm -hmm. And you're basically 
packaging what you have as a product or a service as something that people are willing to pay for. And you have to iterate around the value you're creating and the value, how you're going to price it to make sure that this is a market fit, meaning it fits their needs. Um, and the techniques are, are very much, as we talked about, uh, B2C, B2B are very different. Uh, but you really want to avoid, for example, uh, having f false indicators. One would be uh, giving away a free product and then mm -hmm. saying, I have a client and expecting that all at once they're going to start paying, you know, uh, $500 a year. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I just want to make sure they test it and like it. Well, they like it if it's free. And they may not like it if it's $500. Therefore, you actually don't have a product market fit because you're not selling your product. You're selling free stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think there's something very powerful about trying to develop a uh, paying product and iterating around pricing to make sure it fits in the value you're creating. And can I give a little tough love? We only have two minutes left, so we're going to get to Bellagio. But little tough love is... If you only have one customer and you're worried about trying figuring out how to get two and three, you probably don't have the right product. I mean, you should already know who your customers are beforehand and know the path to getting there before you even develop your product. But <laughs> that's a little tough love. Okay, Bellagio is here. <laughs> I, think it, I think you guys have a chance out there and you should keep at it. Just iterate, make sure that you build something your customers want. Yes. Okay, Balaji is here in studio. Balaji, you got a new company. You have 30 seconds. All right. Thank you very much, guys. My name is Balaji. I am the co-founder and CEO of Bright Stems Incorporated. We, our company has created a mobile app for people with stress, anxiety, fatigue, and numerous other challenges. We have our own lineage of mindfulness practices. So we developed this app, and now uh, we have about like you know, 100 customers using it on and off. But now my question to you is, like, do you have any specific advice on how to, you know, gain early adopters of the mobile app? And this is a B2B, B2C, we want to go to B2B. And she has 30 seconds to answer all that loaded question. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, so if it's B2C, it's, I mean, community, right? Find champions, find people that are going to use it, create, like, the hype around how you've transformed the life of people. Uh, make sure you have gurus that use your app that people look up to. Uh, get bloggers, get people that are going to talk about you. I mean, this is such a hot topic and such right. a needed topic. So uh, I think people, you know, follow um, the leads from uh, uh, people that have been in the space and that are uh, going to be inspiring to look up to. So find them, create a community around them and animate. This is such a great topic. Yeah, I agree. A community is so key. That's such a great point. Thank you so much, Balaji, for your question and dropping into the studio with your question. Good luck to your startup. And where can people find out more if they want to bring you on and um, get some help from you, Aurelia? Yeah, it's Aurelia at mb.ventures. MB Perfect. And Aurelia at mb.ventures. Thank you so much, Aurelia. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you. This has been Kim McNicholas on Innovation. You can connect with Kim on Facebook forward slash Kim McNicholas or email Kim McNicholas at gmail.com. Be sure to join us again next Friday at 1 for Kim McNicholas on Innovation. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.